0: getting a treat today because you're going to hear me, Steve, and Dave. All three of us are preaching today. Yeah. This afternoon at the funeral, you're going to hear me and G. So, <laughs> um, I, I want to kind of start this off or kick this off because we're doing this retreat that's going to involve 2,000 churches around the country and it's a church retreat called work as worship and uh, what we're wanting to do over the next couple of weeks is to give you a biblical foundation uh, uh, just a little bit of a biblical foundation of what the message is about work as worship. So many people get involved in what they do for a vocation or get involved in their life and they don't really see themselves as working for the Lord. And they don't really sometimes see their work as something that matters. They just see it as a means to an end and they don't really understand. But it's a common desire for all of us to have work that really matters. And, and how we make our work really matters. Now, what has happened in church? Everybody say in church. Over the last... Um, I, don't, I don't know what's wrong with my, my lights, but my lights up here are not on. It's over my head that helps me see my notes. And at my age, I need all of the extra lights I can get. Um, I'm not sure in history when it really happened, but I am fully aware of some things that have happened in my lifetime. And in my lifetime, there has been a major shift. Caleb addressed it just a moment ago, and it's the idea that... Some things are sacred and some things are secular. It's just an idea that has developed. And over the last, specifically the last 40 years, this last generation, we've developed, oh thank you, God is good in the light. In the last 40 years in my lifetime, this idea of secular and sacred And we we have the idea that Bible study is sacred. We have the idea that small groups is sacred, that Sunday school is sacred, and that church attendance and worshiping the Lord and singing and praising God is part of the sacred. And what we've done is we've taken things like work and hobbies and tried to make them in our mindset as something that's secular when it's really not. I personally believe that work is sacred and that hobbies are sacred. Everything you do, you should do as unto the Lord. But the idea that there are two trays, you have a sacred tray and a secular tray, and the, the, the cultural mandate that we have, we've, we've, we've had this cultural thing where it's like if you do this for the Lord, this is something that's sacred. But what I'm trying to say to you today is there is no divide. There is not a divide between this. Listen carefully to what I want to say to you. Work is sacred. You go through this book and you will find where God called and equipped different people with different skills and different talents to do things to build to accomplish to to do a lot of things and and hopefully today I'm going to come back at the end and and and, and maybe share a little bit but but do you realize what did God do on the 7th day He ceased from His work. God works. We want God to work in our lives. We ask God, why don't you work in this situation? God, why don't you do this? He worked and made everything and he put Adam and Eve in the garden to work and be productive in the garden. Well, if we're created in his image and his likeness and he works, wonder what we're supposed to do. We live in a society today where people want to get out of work. God didn't make you to be lazy. God didn't make you to sit around and have somebody else take care of you. That is not the way God designed you. He designed you to be fruitful and multiply and be productive. He wants us to have productivity in our lives. Thank you. Now listen carefully to me. God has commanded us to build and to create. Work is sacred. Listen to me say this. Art is sacred. Family is sacred. Rest is sacred. Hobby is sacred. There is no divide. Look at somebody and say there is no divide. There is no such thing as this is what God likes and this is what God tolerates. That's not how it is. God wants you to be successful and he wants to walk with you seven days a week, 24 hours a day, just as much. Let me, I'm sorry that I'm Y'all will have some time. Let me me just make sure that everybody understands something. Attendance is down, and I understand that, and a lot of things going on, and somebody says, where's so-and-so? I wonder where they are, and I wonder what's here. I I, I really come, and the only person that really matters to me that shows up every time we have a service is whether God is going to show up in this house or not. As I was praying this morning for, still to me, the fairly Church of God, but for New Covenant Sanctuary, and I know that their pastor passed away yesterday morning, and, and and I'm thinking about that, and I'm talking to the Lord, and he just assured me, he said, don't worry, I'm going to be there. You know, sometimes we look at people and we think, you know, are they there? I mean, I miss my wife, I miss where we are as a family right now, and we're, we're at a place where where it's, it's a real difficult place to be with aging parents and all kinds of things going on, illness with our kids and things happening. And, 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 and I'm still saying, Lord, I, I, all I know is I want you to show up every service. But I also want him to show up with you on Sunday afternoon, on Sunday evening, On Monday morning. Everything I do in preaching the word to you. Is so that you understand. That if you will receive the word of God. Into your heart. And into your life. He's going to go with you. And nourish you. And mature you. And grow you. And work with you. So my prayer day after day is. Lord will you show up. And be with us today, not just me, with us today in everything we do. God placed us here to work. Work is sacred. Work is holy. Work is God's work. Now, I refuse to be political in this pulpit, but here's what I want to say to you. Is God interested in government? Yes, He is. I'm not interested in people, but I'm interested in God being in our government. I'm interested in God being in our lives When they took prayer out of school, I said, God, help me get your word in children's lives because if they go in there full of the words, you're going to be there. And I understand that. And I'm just simply saying, Lord, you're interested in our government. You're interested in business. Do you all understand God's interested in business? Sure he is. He is actually interested in business. He wants your business to be successful. I have never, ever seen God say, I just want you to know I'm calling you and equipping you to be a failure, to be rattled and be torn apart. God is involved in our lives.
1: Good morning. I'm Steve Cook. I'm on staff here at Raymond Christian Center. I do administration work, uh, family ministries, director, lots of things. I've continuously worked. I was thinking about this since I was probably a young teenager or before that around the house, you know, but um, you all see that I play guitar and that was my first job. That's how I got my first guitar was cutting grass in the neighbor's yard. So continuously then i uh, been working in different aspects of uh, the workforce. I've been a salesman. I've been a carpet layer. I've been a uh, my, one of my first jobs in uh, summer in college. I came home and worked on a construction crew, never ran concrete in a wheelbarrow. Anybody ever try that? Well, they said, fill him up, boys, and it went <laughs> <laughs> Dumped it right out. So they didn't fill it up quite as far the next time I did it. <laughs> um, the, uh, about who I am as an individual, uh, I always, when I was younger, uh, and I'm still this way, about speaking in front of people is not my forte. I'm not like our pastor. I knew when I was sitting in the uh, church, when I grew up in the Methodist church, that there was a call in my life. But I couldn't see myself as that person in the pulpit. And that was the only real things that you could see in being in ministry. And that's why this is so important that we understand there is no difference between what we see as professional ministry. And we, we, we get that, that vision that that is separate from what we do in working in in the world. But I... I would remove myself from any opportunity to have to speak in front of people. I took speech class in high school, but I never, I never gave a speech. Somehow I worked it out, either got sick or, or did something, but I did not, I did not say, <laughs> that's, that's in, in, uh, uh, I fell in, I found the, that I fall into the classification of most people. Statistically, most people, uh, the greatest fear that people have is getting in front of people and speaking in public. That's the number one thing. The second thing that people fear is death. So you know what that means. (laughs) You know what that means. At a funeral, I'd rather be in the casket than be the one giving the eulogies. (laughs) Anyway, that's a Seinfeld joke, okay? But I've learned to adapt over the years, okay? I've learned to adapt because of the work that I've done, the experiences that I've had. Uh, There's a great warrior, a wise man, nobleman, and then a simple roofer problem was, there was a wild city there. In our lives today, what does that wild city represent? It represents the lives of other people. Uh, There's a great illustration. Yesterday, we had a men's breakfast, and uh, I sat across from a young man. I, I just met him, and, and we talked a little bit and uh, asked him a little bit about his life. And, and his life was turned around because of men in his life that he worked with that spoke faith. Of Christ in their life to him and that's the reason that it's turned around his life so that was the perfect illustration that uh, on the opportunities that we have wherever we are at working is that God we can use our God given skills whatever that is to open the doors to share the good news of the kingdom we get hung up on this professionalism thing uh, it's, we think that it's best to leave ministry just to the professionals like pastors missionaries all those But this illustration shows us that it's our skills are the ones that can open the doors uh, to people's hearts. Uh, We we wonder ourselves, uh, what's our real calling? Um, And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, making them Marking them by baptism in threefold, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day, right up until the end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission, right? Does it apply only to a few of us? No. He's speaking that to all of us. That is the question. The question, though, is not if we're called, but the question is where and how we are called to follow Christ, uh, and Pastor alluded to this, that you know, there's the origin, so what's the origin of work? If we go to the, the first book of the Bible in Genesis, God worked over a period of six days, and then as it says, he rested from all of his work on the seventh day. But the main word that is in that whole passage is a word called create, and we're made in God's image if, if God creates, then we also create. So what do we create as we work? What is it that we create? We create, uh, of course, uh, for our families, we create wealth, and we create the power to, to live. But we can be creative in everything that we do. If God is a creator, then we can be equally as create as creative. That means we're creators. And, in fact, uh, Work, as it's shown in the Bible, it says that you know, it holds a significant point in our lives, but sometimes it can become an idol or a snare against taking the place of priority that belongs to God. You, know, <clears throat> you look around in the world that we live in, you see everything that's been built. That's because the gift of creativity has been given to each one of us. The, the fact that we're sitting in this room today is the gift of creativity that God has given to us. But it can become, our work can become an idol. And there's a perfect example in scripture about the Tower of Babel. You know, it says that there were people who were all of one mind. They all spoke the same language. And they started to build this city and a big tower. But what was the reason that they wanted to build it? It says, so we can make a name for ourselves. So God confounded that and language came into the world. But... What can happen when when God is our primary source of our identity, we find the freedom to do what we do and the freedom to carry out our work and service to others, and that's the key there is service to others. First Peter, uh, Peter was talking to the church that had been uh, kicked out of Israel, of of Jerusalem, at that time. He says to the people, he wrote this scripture in First Peter three thirteen and eighteen. If with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention and adoration before Christ, your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are living. And with with utmost courtesy, keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud on you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that you're the one who, they're the ones that need a bath. It's better to suffer for doing good. It's that it's what God wants than for being punished for being bad. That's what Christ did definitively. He suffered because of other sins, the righteous one, the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, was put to death, and then made alive to bring us to God. So when was the last time somebody asked you why you're living the way you are? Because of your faith. That, that cuts me because I have to say that to myself. When was the last time somebody asked me a question? Why are you living the way you're living? And again, Peter was writing to a community of Christians that had, this is the early church, and they had been dispersed all through uh, the Asia Minor area. It was intent to be an encouragement to them to be prepared for the opportunities that were going to come. So we have to ask that our question to ourselves. When's the last time we were provoked a question of faith about us? That example that I just gave you, that young man that I had breakfast with yesterday, was a perfect example of that. We need to begin praying this week for ways to making our faith visible wherever we are. The greatest advances of the gospel around the world haven't come through preachers, but from committed men and women who have faithfully followed God wherever he's placed them. We need to do what we do well for the glory of God and get, let his glory shine through us. Our work matters most when God delights in us for working not for him, and I want you to catch this, but as him in the fallen world. Do you see the significant difference between that? You know, I can work in Christian ministry, and I'm telling you about myself. I can work for God, but I may not be working as him. You know, we, we may think that we need to get into a Christian business or, or in ministry and church and be working for God, but I can be right here, and I can be not working as him. That's what he desires, not just working for God, but we have the opportunity for the presence of God that's in our lives to share with one another. You know, the purpose of Raymer Christian Center is to fully equip God's people to do his work. The purpose of Raymer Christian Center is to fully equip God's people to do his work. During this month of February, we're going to be giving um, a lot of information and encouraging each of us so that we can discover together what work as worship looks like and its impact on understanding and its application, what it can mean to our community in our world.
2: So what's your attitude about work? Attitude. So does it matter? It does, doesn't it? I I chose this part of this uh, speaking time because uh, attitude's my thing. And Gregory Dickow once said that it's in the overcoming of a thing that you find your calling. So if attitude is part of my calling, that must mean that I'm still I needed to overcome a bad attitude. So I want to share a little bit with you today about my work experience and my attitude and how God got a hold of it and changed it for me. And when I was a little boy, about eight years old, and I think I've told this story, I asked my dad for an allowance. All I wanted was a quarter a week so I could buy me a Matchbox car. He looked at me and kind of laughed he said, get a job, boy. You didn't get no allowance around here. So (laughs) He didn't think I would, so I lived in Chicago, went down to the little grocery store that was in the apartment building and asked the man working there if I could have a job. And He kind of laughed. He said, well, he gave me a feather duster and a broom. And he said, we can clean the shelves and sweep the floors. Well, for about two weeks, he paid me in honey buns and candy bars. And I told him, I said, now listen, I, I need money. I got some stuff I want to buy. He said, well, I can't hire you. He said, but the landlady is looking for somebody to clean the stairwells to the apartment building. So once a month, I got the job for $8 a month. I cleaned three stairwells on a four-story apartment building. Worked all weekend. Loved it. Because, man, I was getting me some cabbage. I was getting me some money. And so my brother and I, we had several matchbox cars after that. So I, I, I learned to work at that age. But I was working for the money, for the things I could put in my pocket. And that motivated me for a long time. We came back from Chicago. And come back to the country, and it was a little tougher finding some work, so we got ingenious, and we learned to gather moss and grapevine and mow yards, and I al- always had money in my pocket. And uh, it was nice. I had I always had a pocket full of money when most of my buddies didn't have any. So I was the popular kid who could uh, afford some of the things that they couldn't afford, so I took care of some of their needs, and they were, we, we had a good time. Then I got a job at 16 years old, uh, Matter of fact, I got it mowing the grass for the boss of the place. I kind of sucked up and got that job. And he liked my work, and he hired me. And it was minimum wage at the time, but they told me, you know, if you stick around for a couple years, you'll make some pretty good money. Well, I didn't realize what they were really talking about. I was just wanting a part-time job to put gas in my car and take my girlfriend to the movies. And uh, so anyway, I stuck around through high school, And the week after I graduated, I got this tremendous pay raise. My pay more than doubled. I didn't plan on staying with the company. And I was making more than a school teacher was at 18 years old part-time. So I thought, why go anywhere? I'm going to stay here and earn this money. I like this money. Well, I ended up getting married shortly after that. I thought, well, I'm set. I've got a good job. I'll be okay. And things are rolling rolling along pretty good. Then one day it kind of halted a little bit the company ran into some problems some competition moved in the area in the middle late 80s they came to us and negotiated some 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 of that money back and it was tough because I was living up to the cap I was living on everything I was making and everything was going good up until then but when this hit my attitude took a little plummet. So one day, uh, they, took about, they t- actually took about 10 per- 10% of our wages, weeks of vacation, a lot of personal holidays, so it kind of stung pretty bad, and we, did, we weren't going to get that back. We wasn't going to get that back for about four or five years. So that time, I thought about leaving, looked around in the immediate area, still uh, probably couldn't make as much money doing what I was doing, so I stuck it out, but my attitude went south. And I was explaining this to my dad one day, and he said, son, he said, uh, you know, you agree to work for that. You don't have to go there. I said, yeah, dad, but it's not fair. It's not fair. I will work for that. I will work for that. So we got this scripture out, and Matthew chapter 20 talked about the landowner that had sent out, I'm sorry, thank you, Dana, had sent out a, uh, went out to get some workers, to pull some workers in to get his crops in. And he goes out first thing in the morning, And he promises them, he says, I'll give you a denarius, a day's wage, if you'll come and help me get my crops in. Well, he goes out a couple hours later because he doesn't have enough help, he tells the next group of people the same thing. I'll give you a day's wage if you'll come in and help me get my crops in. Still wasn't enough. Goes out at noon, same deal. If you'll come in and work a half a day, I'll give you a full day's pay to get my crops in. Three o'clock he goes out. He's still needing help. I will give you a day's wage if you'll come from, and work and get my crops in today. Still not enough. Then on the last hour of the day, he goes out and asks them. He, said, he, he saw some folks who still hadn't found work. He said, if you'll come and help me get these crops in, I'll give you a day's wage. Well, at the end of the day, it come time to pay up. And he told his foreman, he said, I want you to pay everybody their day's wage. He said, but I want you to start with the last first. And I often wondered why that was. So the guy who worked an hour got a day's wage. And as was getting paid the ones who started at the beginning of the day thought, hey, this ain't fair. I worked all day long and you're gonna pay this rascal the same amount of money that you paid me for working an hour. And the landowner said, well, what's wrong with that? It's my company, it's my business, I'll pay what I want. Is it greed in your heart that's causing this? Well, I argued with my dad for about six months on that one. I thought, that is the most unfair thing I've ever heard. God's not fair when it comes to labor. Why would God condone that? Well, when finally Jesus got a hold of my heart, and it was about shortly after this time, well, actually it was several years after when God got a hold of my heart, I looked back on that, and that scripture come to light. It wasn't only about working in the kingdom of God for heaven like we traditionally think. It's about our attitude about everything we do in our work and I thought about it and I got to a place where I had to make a choice whether I was going to re-educate and reinvent myself so I could do other things besides what I was doing or I was going to have to stay there and deal with what I got. What I learned was the power of negotiation. There was nothing wrong with that deal for any of them. They all negotiated a deal. Early in the morning The man says, yes, I'll gladly work for you and get that day's wage. And he's all happy until he sees somebody else getting a little better deal. you see, that's how my attitude went south when we took those wage cuts. And for years, I worked at a subpar level. My boss called me up one day. He said, Dave, he said, you're an A player playing a B game. He said, some days you're playing a C game. And I thought, I argued with him a little bit, but I knew down in my heart he was right. So as the Lord began to work on my attitude, my performance began to change. As my attitude improved, my performance got better. Now I love that video, of this lady right here, because what she really said was, she had a checkpoint for her attitude. Now hers is 2:30 in the morning. Mine's not 2:30 in the morning, but it's the first thing in the day when she, she comes before the Lord. And she brought her attitude to him and said, Lord, help me. You remember the prayer of Jabez? Jabez says, Lord, enlarge my borders. In other words, increase me so that I might add value to those around me, and not cause harm. He wanted to be a good businessman, a good person in the community that added value to people. So he prayed the prayer. And it comes to attitude. And I believe attitude is the foundation of everything in our lives. How we see things, how we perceive things is how we're going to deal with it. So I need to always take my attitude before the Lord and ask him, Lord, help adjust my attitude. And sometimes it stings. It's not a good thing when you've got to admit you're wrong. You've got to go back and redo some things and admit your faults. You know, because when I'm telling you I was playing a C game and a B game, at that time I wouldn't admit that. I'm doing as much as the next guy. Probably more than Joe over here. That's not how the Lord looks at it. He looks at me and says, I want your best because I want, to give you, I want to give you the best. He can't honor me with the best if I don't honor him with my best. And, you know, I've had several folks around here that I respect their opinion come to me and say, well, I miss your boy around here because he worked around on the grounds, did some things during the summer. They said, man, he was a great worker, and he had the best attitude. He's such a fine young man. You know what that did for me? I loved it. That's my boy. That's my boy. I love him. And he honors me when he has that kind of attitude. We can honor God with that kind of attitude in everything we do. And if we start thinking about everything we do in our workplace, and our community, and we determine determined to honor God, Our lives begin to change. And God says, well done. This is my son or my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Can you imagine that blessing that flows into your life? So I want to share four things with you that the Lord showed me that he'll do for you or do for us if we put him first in our work or anything, matter of fact. And I call it the four C's. The first thing God is concerned about is our character charisma will get you in the door. It'll get you a job. I know people who have 50 jobs, they can't keep them six weeks. Character opens the doors. I mean, charisma opens the doors. Character keeps the door open. So God is concerned about our character. So how can we do that? We can start with the little things. If we do one little thing, we can start the process and start that steamroll. If we determine every day to leave the place a little better than we found it, If we can determine to leave every relationship a little better, than we found it. We started. You started the ball, ball rolling. The second thing God wants to do is increase our competence. He wants us to develop our skills. I know a lot of people are doing jobs that they hate. And most of the time, it's not only just an attitude problem. That's a symptom of it. But the problem is they're plugged into the wrong kind of work. They're not getting to use their talents and skills and their strengths. So if that's an issue... Sometimes you've got to be courageous enough to say, I'm doing a 180. I'm going over here. I'm going to work where I feel like it's rewarding. It's bringing reward back to me, and I feel good about it. So to increase our competency, we have to have a learner's mindset. If I go to work each day, even if I don't like my job right now, if I determine to go in and say, I'm going to learn one new thing today or I'm going to learn one new skill this week, it changes our attitude about the work. And if we don't, we become stagnant. Eric Hoffer said this, and I want, you to, I want you to listen to this because it's really similar to what Jesus said. He said, in times of change, and we can agree that times are changing, aren't we? The marketplace has changed. The business has changed. Commerce has changed. We live in a global economy now. But if we don't embrace the change, if we don't become learners, we'll never be able to embrace the change. So he said this. In times of change, the learners will inherit the earth, whereas the learned will find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Let me say that again. In times of change, the learners will inherit the earth, whereas the learned, those who already know everything they need, think they need to know, will find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with with a world that no longer exists. So we have to have the attitude of a learner. Be curious. Learn new skills so that you're growing and expanding. Now the third thing that God expects us to be is a collaborator. Now a collaborator is a little different than a cooperator. I can go to work and I can get by on C Performance and pick my pay, get my paycheck. It's kind of hard to fire a guy who's doing average because most people do average, but God wants us to collaborate with people, add value to the company, the organization that we're in, work aggressively with other people to achieve the desired goals and results of the company. Now, if you're working for a company, you don't believe in the mission statement. If it's contrary to your values, you probably need to get out, but if you can agree with what the company's trying to do, we need to collaborate, work aggressively with other people to achieve those goals. Not just be one of those folks that just go along because I have to. That's the wrong attitude. We can keep that attitude, but we're going to get more of the same. Now, if we work on those three things, God will do this for us. He'll do like Jabez. He'll increase your capacity. Once he increases your capacity, you're able to do more. I remember when I was a clerk, I had a sphere of friends and a group of people, a group of certain customers that I kind of ministered to as the Lord was dealing with me. Then when he began to promote me, I moved into a different sphere, and my in- influence began to increase. As I began to increase, I began to help more people. So every time I climbed up a little farther with the Lord, he gave me more access in more people's lives. And if that's what we're really after, as a Christian, that's what we should be doing, is looking for access points into people's lives so we can add value to their lives and lift up Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's our job, isn't it? It's our job in the workplace. It's our job in our community. It's our job in our home. So God wants to increase our capacity so he can pour more into us. I would that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. God wants us to prosper. He wants us to be in health. He wants to increase our capacity and build the kingdom of God. Thank you.
0: The two most important days of your life Number one is the day you were born. And the second is the day you find out why you were born. God has a purpose for you that will not only bless you and take care of you and prosper you, but he desires you to be a blessing to others. In this story of Johnny the Bagger, it just amazes me because I started out working at a grocery store. My senior year of high school, I'd get up at 5 o'clock, go to the produce market, buy and load the truck, bring it to the store, put in the cooler, what needed to be immediately put in the cooler. I'd go to school, and then I only had to go a half a day, and I'd come back at noon and work. When I was a little boy, I'd walk down the street, pick apples out of the backyard, and sell them down the backyard, work was something that was always there. It was something I could always do. I could always find work. When I went to college, couldn't find a job. They said it's hard finding a job this time of the year. All of the college students coming in, all of the jobs are taken care of. You're a freshman. We don't have a job for you. I went to a local grocery store, and I said to the man, I want to go to work here. He said, I don't have anything open. He said, can I work for you free today? I said, if I work for you free today, at the end of the day, if you don't need me, you tell me to go down the road and I won't come back. He said, well, what's the first thing you're going to do? I said, well, somewhere in this store, you've got a place where everything that's been broken or everything that is messed up, everything that has gotten damaged... Nobody that works for you wants to take care of that, and it's the hardest thing in the world, and you've got a pile somewhere here of stuff that nobody wants to deal with. The first thing I'm going to do is identify that, find out where it goes, put it together, and get your money back for everything you've got in that pile. He said, really? What's the next thing? I said, every aisle will be clean and dusted and faced up the way it's supposed to be by lunchtime. I got there at 8 o'clock. At 9.30 he said, you need to go to the office and fill out your paperwork, son. You got a job. Work is service to God. And if you will serve God in what you do and do all that you do for him, it's amazing how he will bless you, take care of you, and prosper you. I want you to stand with me. Right now beside you is someone who is at some place in their life. If they don't know why they were born, they may not be fulfilling the purpose and the calling that God has in their life. So as a closing prayer today, what I would like to ask you to do in your own way, however you desire to do it, while they start a song here in a moment and sing a song, I want you to spend just a moment, you don't have to verbally pray it or say anything to the person, you can lay your hand on them or not lay your hand on them, but I want you to pray for somebody around you to discover why God placed them On this earth, at this time, he could have birthed you anywhere in history, but he put you where he put you for a purpose. And I want you to just pray, Lord, help them find their purpose. The story of Johnny the bag boy, when this little Down syndrome young man discovered that he could make somebody else's day better. I related to that so much because I would bagged groceries. I would worked in the grocery store. I would carry them out. I would do things for older ladies. For anybody that had a handicap, I would take their stuff. It just was something that I had been taught to do all my life. My dad had said, I don't care what you do if you dig ditches. For a living, I want you to be the best ditch digger you can be. That's what I had been taught my whole life. So today, I just want to be the best that I can be for God. And my prayer for you right now is that you discover your purpose and what God's best is for you. Would you just take a moment, and I want you all to sing a song. Will you just pray for somebody around you right now? Would you just do that? Would you just take a moment and pray for somebody around you? You don't have to do it out loud. Lord, I just pray for different ones who are here this morning, Lord. I pray specifically for those who don't know their purpose, for their purpose to be manifested to them, for them to see, Lord Jesus, that life for them is not finished. It's not over. There's things for them to do. You have them here for a plan. You have them here for a purpose. There's entrepreneurs here, Lord Jesus. There are people who have creative ideals. There are people here who desire to do things that they've never been able to do. So, Lord, I'm asking you to help us to become creative. Help us to get insightful, Lord Jesus. May we become the best that we can do. If it's working in a grocery store, if it's being a doctor, if it's being a lawyer, if it's selling real estate, if it's working at Walmart, whatever it may be, Lord, help us to be the best that we can be. If we deal with bookkeeping, to be the best bookkeeper that ever was. If we deal in any area of life the best mechanic, the best body man, the best equipper that anyone could ever be. Lord, however we serve one another, we serve you. Help us to serve you, Lord, with integrity, with character, with dignity, with respect, and help us to be the best that we can be at whatever we do. Every one of you have come to a worship service today, and there's a difference between a worship service and the service of worship. Worship is a journey. So my prayer is that you go from where you are to where he is, because where he is, when he comes to where you are and you're with him, it's an act of worship for him. And it's a journey out of ourselves into his service but you can serve him anywhere you are because he is there with you. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a journey from poverty to plenty because if you're working and you're serving and you're living without him in your presence, you're poor. But you're prosperous when he's with you anywhere you are, in any situation, in any circumstance. I can't tell you the times that I've looked around at where I am and say, God, I don't like where I am, but I'm sure glad you're here with me, and you'll see me through. God is with you today. Take him with you. Go in the service, in the service of his worship. Don't just come to a worship service. Be a part of the service of worshiping him. I love you. Appreciate you being here today. If you need prayer for anything, I invite you to come forward. If you're sick, we'll pray for you. If you want to receive communion, the communion elements are out. Appreciate you being here. Don't forget the funeral today at 2 o'clock, and don't forget Barbara Loudermilk service Tuesday at 1 is the viewing, and 3 will be the service. I love you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thanks for being here. God bless you.